Lord Jesus, we once again focus our attention on you. We turn our ears to the voice of your Holy Spirit. We turn our eyes to you and to to your word, praying, Lord God, that we would hear a voice, the voice of your Holy Spirit today. Uh, Help me, Lord God, to to, uh, expound upon this passage, upon this scripture, upon this word today in a way that would be pleasing in your sight and beneficial to your people. Help me today and help us today. Lord Jesus, and I pray in your name, everybody said, Amen. We are continuing, in one sense of the word, we're continuing today our summer series of going through the Psalms. And in a few moments, we'll be turning to Psalm 53. I've entitled today, The Folly of Functional Atheism. I felt like, as I was preparing this message I felt like it was a little bit of a prophetic message, and by that I do not mean foretelling the future, although that's prophecy, but I mean I think God is taking this passage and he's zeroing in on us right here, right now, with a word for some or all of us, and those includes those watching online. And so as I began to look at this psalm, I began to see it just a little bit differently. It is true and it is accurate that the majority of this psalm was written about unbelievers, about those who are in opposition to God. Um, And as I've told you numerous times, even recently, that often, especially in the Old Testament, often Scripture has dual applications. There's several Cases. Psalm 22 is one case. Isaiah 9 is one case. There are several passages that have dual application. And as I read this psalm and I began to read it, I felt like God say this. Yes, one application of this psalm is toward unbelievers and maybe even atheists. But I've got an issue with my people. And I want you to address that. And so, guess who that is? You and me. There was a child on the way home from church one Sunday morning sitting in the back seat, and he began to cry, and he said, what's wrong, son? He said, well, the pastor was saying that children should grow up in a Christian, God-fearing, God-believing home. And he said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, well, I want to stay with y'all. Well, I hope we're not that set of parents. But we have to ask ourselves some questions, and a lot of today we'll be asking questions. But the first question we're going to ask is, does our life exemplify a person who believes in and believes God? You do know there's two different things there. We believe in God, but we also believe God. And that's that's important. The other question at this point of the game is, do we seek God at all times? Now, don't you answer me today. I'll let your own conscience and the Holy Spirit help you answer these. 
Do we seek him all the time? I don't mean every second of every day, except practicing the presence of God. We'll deal with that more later. Or do we just seek him when we want something? Oh, me is the proper answer there. You don't need to say it, but that's what that is. Because as human beings, we find ourselves in, especially in a Western culture, we find ourselves in a place where often we disregard God until we need something or want something. This psalm, and we'll repeat this, but this psalm teaches us this lesson. God looks down from heaven. Let's all say that together. God looks down from heaven. And we can't forget that. And I'll, I'll, I'll revisit that in a moment. Now, if you haven't already, you could turn to Psalm 53. Now, I will point out that Psalm 14 is almost identical to Psalm 53. There's just a little bit of a difference. Psalm, and this is wrong, by the way. Psalm 53 is 1 through 6, and Psalm 14 is 1 through 7. I, I think I was standing on my head when I typed that. So I got it backwards. Um, but there's just a little bit of a difference between the two Psalms, but I chose 53. And uh, if you don't like it, get over it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just... um, if you would stand while I read the, these, these uh, six verses, and I'm again reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> uh, this is, by the way, a Psalm of David. It says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There's none who does good. <clears throat> God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. And God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad you can be seated. By the way, as you read uh, the end of verse 1 and you read verse uh, 3, if you make a note, those of you note-takers, Romans 3, Paul almost exactly quotes that in, in, in his letter to the Romans. And as I began to read that, uh, it said, the fool says in his heart. And God said to me, some of my people are fools. Now, God said it, I didn't say it. You're going to have to deal with him. And thus the, the title today, The Folly, look how similar fool is to folly. Because some of us, while we are born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, names written down in the Lamb's book of life, some of us act like fools sometimes. We act like there is no God. Boy, y'all are quiet. I'm, that makes me... Feel like this, this, I've had some resistance to this word, so you just get ready because I don't care what your response is, you're getting it. Because I've been living with it for two weeks, it's not your turn. <laughs> the fool says there is no God. 
Now, obviously, those who claim to be atheists say there's no God, but I'm not talking about them necessarily today. That's another topic for another day. I'm talking about God's people who act like there's no God. The fool in this passage is a word that means someone who's developed a callousness toward God, hard-hearted. And that callousness toward God causes us to, to develop moral callousness. I've watched too many times, and you have too, those believers in Jesus Christ who over time develop this kind of a, a scab uh, towards God, and God can't really penetrate to their heart, and before long they're buying into immorality with all kind of logic and explanations. They bought into moral callousness. Now, the, now, when we talk about fool in this passage, and I think David is doing the same thing, I think we're talking about a moral orientation and not intellectual ability. We're not saying these folks are stupid. Now, they may be, but that's not what it's saying. But we're talking about a moral Condition, a moral orientation and not intellectual ability towards God. This fool that David describes in this verse is one who rejects wisdom in lieu of their own choices. Rejects the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God's people in lieu of what they feel like is right. In other words... Someone begins to function as one's own God. Now, you see, maybe you didn't think it was possible for those of us who are going to heaven. Maybe you didn't think it was possible for us to function as our own God. But I want to tell you that it is. And some of you listening to me today are doing it as we speak. Well, I wish I hadn't come this morning. You're getting too close. And that's because we, we would never say there is no God. But we act like there's no God. So we ask the question, why do we act as if there's no God? Why do we do that? And why do we live our lives as though God was Irrelevant. Too many Bible-believing Christians relate to God as if he is irrelevant to their lives. I would really pray no one under the sound of my voice fits that category, but chances are there's someone. And he tells us in, in verse 2, he said, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see. God looks to see. Now I want to hasten to say God was not looking to see because he didn't know what he was going to find. I've told you, oops has never crossed God's lips. I didn't expect that has never been uttered by God. He wasn't looking to find out what we were doing. A better word there is that he was, he was looking to behold children of man. 
He was looking to behold humanity. Bette Midler's song, God is watching us from a distance, couldn't be further from the truth. I can promise you God is not watching you from a distance. As a matter of fact, he's closer than you really want him to be. He's a near God. God is a God who is near you and I. If there's a distance between you and God, it's a distance that you have created, not him. What is he looking to behold? When he looks at humanity, when he looks down from heaven, what is he looking for? Well, he tells us, any who understand. He said, there are none who understand. And that's just, it really means those, those who act wisely. There are none who act wisely. Well, what's the wisest thing we can do? Hear God and obey Him. You'll stay out of a lot of trouble if you just hear God and obey Him. And anytime I've gotten myself in trouble, it's either because I didn't hear God or even though I did hear him, I still did what I wanted to do. I'm sure I'm the only one, but would y'all just embellish me for a little bit? <laughs> those who, he said, I'm looking for those who exercise prudence. Remember that the Bible says, if any lack wisdom, remember, if any and I know you never do, but you might one day. So just remember this. If any lack wisdom, remember who the source is. Who, not what. If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Not only that, he says, but who gives liberally. You know, if you'll ask God for wisdom in a circumstance, he'll pour it out on you. Some of us ask God for wisdom but we've already prefabricated what that wisdom looks like. And so we don't even hear what he says because we have already created our own answer. He's also looking for any who seek after God. God looks down from heaven to behold any who seek after God. I'll deal with it a little more next week, next Sunday. But... The fact is, we need God. We don't just need Him for salvation. We do. And nothing else matters if we don't have salvation. But we need God. And He said, you need to seek after Me. Of course, the, we like, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we love going to Jeremiah 29, 11, where everybody can quote that one. We used to have it on the wall in the big room in the back. And we took it down. I don't remember why, not because we were opposed to it, but we always want to read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. But what comes next? Then, after the plans for a future and a hope, which is what twenty nine eleven says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So, what's the result? Of I have plans for you, I have a future and a hope for you. What's the result of that is that we will call on God. We will seek God. We will pray to God. What's the result of that? I will hear you. What better promise do we have, saints? Now, we're not just talking in religious terms today. Because you and I 
have the ability, because the veil of the temple has been torn in two, you and I have the ability to approach the throne of God just like those priests did that went into the Holy of Holies. We don't need that anymore. We can, you can be in your bathroom. Boy, that got close, didn't it? And you can approach the throne of God. Maybe I ought not use the word throne. <laughs> Talking about the bathroom. <laughs> Verse 13. He said, you will seek me. And you will find me. How about that? Again, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a living relationship. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Once again, are we seeking and searching except when we need something? Or do we wait for the crisis to hit? Do we wait for the bottom to fall out? And then we search and seek. And he says, hey, and of course, what he, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 is really telling them what's going to happen after they get out of the Babylonian captivity, 70 years. Here's what's going to happen. I've got a future for you. I've got to hope. And that's when you're going to seek my face after the trouble. 29, 14, he says, I will be found by you. That's twice he's promised that. Now I need, we need to take this to be our promise. I mean, it's been a promise all along, but if we're, if we're that person who is, and we'll deal with this in a moment, if we're that person who's living with functional atheism, then we haven't believed it. And then, of course, when I was reading that passage and thinking about this, I obviously thought about Hebrews 11, now faith, well, now without faith. It's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What is the reward for those who seek God? God. God himself is the reward. The life that's in God is the reward for those of us who diligently seek him. And that's what God, he said, I'm looking down from heaven and I'm trying to, I want to see this. This is what I want to see. Now, remember, this is a little bit of a prophetic word in that it's aimed at us today. And we're taking a little bit different approach than would normally take with this psalm. But I believe God is saying something to us through this word. And the word that I came up with, I actually came up with two, and you'll hear both today, and that's this term, functional atheism. Functional atheism today are those of us who have, again, been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, got our names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, absolutely no question when we breathe our last breath, we'll be in the presence of Jesus, but sometimes we function now, as an atheist, I quoted Wednesday night. You've heard me quote hundreds of times by the Vernon Simpson, who said, anxiety is a mild form of atheism. Not that you're an atheist, 
But if you are eat up with anxiety, then there's a part of you that don't really believe God. Psalm 14 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This Psalm and Psalm 53 catalogs some characteristics that accompany atheism. Talks about corrupt, abominable works, filthy works. That's moral bankruptcy. Talks about not seeking God, lack of understanding, prayerlessness. That's, that's a spiritual bankruptcy. When the text talks about eating up God's people like bread, that's a relational or a social bankruptcy. We don't want any of that. We don't want to put our big toe in any of that. The atheist has no desire for God in his heart and no resemblance of God in his life. For the atheist, life consists only of self-centered concern. Earthly existence is therefore reduced to materialistic and hedonistic or self-indulgent pleasure pursuits. Life, for, for whatever measure that we would be a functional atheist, whatever degree that we would function as an atheist, is to that same degree that we are consumed with ourselves. And, and hedonistic pleasures of life. Some of you remember Rubel Shelley, who was the minister at the Woodmont Church of Christ some years ago. Brother Rubel got himself in trouble. Um, I can't believe he would go off like this. He'd go off in this kind of error. But he started teaching that the Church of Christ was not the only church going to heaven. And he took part in cross-church activities. As a matter of fact, Sharon and I were on the board at Operation Andrew Group, and he came in some of our meetings because we had all these churches representing us, and so he got in trouble. That's a good kind of trouble to have. Anyway, Rubel Shelley wrote practical, he called it practical or functional atheism, is holding an intellectual commitment to to belief in God, but thinking, feeling, and behaving as if there were no God. Once again, we're applying this to us. That we would have a belief in God and we would know God, but we would function as if there were no God. Or worse yet, we would behave as if there were no God. Now, I want to tell you that in some cases we had this question uh not question, but we had a discussion about it Wednesday night in the home group. And, you know, there are cases. Uh, let me just turn here. He's, in First John, he said, children, this is the last hour. The Antichrist is coming. There are many Antichrists. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Listen to these words. Just listen. If you're taking notes, it's First John 2, 19. They went out from us. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain 
that they all are not of us. But Charles Simpson used to tell a story about a guy named Fred, and Fred came to church. He sat on the back row, and in a little while, he got moved up a little bit. In a little while, Fred's excited. Fred got baptized. He's sitting on the front row. About three weeks later, Fred's disappeared. Somebody said, what happened to Fred? And they said, well, I, I think Fred's backslid. And somebody said, I think the problem is Fred never front slid. The scariest term, and I said it again this Wednesday night, the scariest term to me is the term professing Christians. Going to be a lot of professing Christians in hell. Do I need to sit down? Because you can profess it all you want to, but until something takes place in here, it's not real. Titus said it this way, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Does the way you live testify that you know God, that you believe there's a God? They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. I love it when I can read the scripture and y'all, you can just make faces if you want to. I didn't write that. Claim to know God, but deny him by the way we live. You say, I wonder who he's talking to. That's who I'm talking to. No, I'm not thinking. Of, when I read that in the Lord, I felt like the Lord spoke to me about how to address this psalm. I didn't think of anybody. And I'm still not thinking of anybody, any particular person or any particular people group. I'm thinking of all God's people that... We have all watched, and some of us are us. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Who professed to be Christians, but buy into the morality of the current age, or immorality. Now, I'm not going to go too far with this, but I'll just tell you this. Pride comes before a fall. And I want to tell you, that a fall is a good thing. It's a good thing when God lets us fall. I know this is going to be real deep, but just try to bear with me. Unless you fall, you can't get back up. I always tell people, I got to go, well, don't go, don't go. I said, well, if I don't leave, I can't come back. So I'm deep. Y'all just watch it now. I'm going to buy me some boots. Anyway, <laughs> it's funny that I'm, I'm quoting from a Church of Christ minister, an African-American Baptist minister, and the, the leader of predestination movement. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, the most dangerous type of atheism is not theoretical atheism, but practical or functional atheism. That's the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, did you see that? Even the church is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. He continued on, there is always a danger that we will make it appear externally. Everybody say externally. Just want to make sure you're still listening. That we believe in God when we internally, we really don't. 
we say with our mouths that we believe in him, but we live with our lives like he never existed. That is the ever-present danger confronting a religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. That's what we're talking about today. The fool has said in his heart. That's interesting, too. Some of the versions there say, and I keep quoting it that way, the fool has said in his heart, which is past tense, but the, the, the ESV says the fool says in his heart. Absolutely. It's a continuing thing. It's present, and it continues. And then, of course, the, as John Calvin said, humans are incurably religious creatures. And our secular age offers all kinds of God replacements. Sex, self, stuff, state, science. And by the way, that John Calvin didn't just live last week or last year. Ironically, a secular age is still filled with faith just in all the wrong gods. These gods mark us in their images in profoundly dehumanizing ways. What is functional atheism? Well, it, it, it uh, exhibits itself this way, living without consulting God. Oh boy, now we're getting, now we're getting close. Living without consulting God. We, we talked recently somewhere, but anyway, about the, the three kings that, that went out to fight the king of Moab and, and they said they, they mounted up Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. I think I talked about it as a matter of fact, come think of it. And the king of Edom and they said, all right, which way should we go? Well, let's go that way. Well, you remember the story. They went in circles, went around and around and around and around, kept seeing this thing rock over and over again. And somebody said, hey, we need to ask God about this thing. Well, yeah, you should have did that first. Is it, is it getting too heavy? Okay. God will help us. I call those guys, we three kings of disorient. <laughs> because they got themselves in a mess because they never consulted God. They just took off. And when they consulted God, I'm not going to re-preach the message. When they consulted God, he said, here's what I want you to do, dig ditches. You need to go back and consult him again because I don't think you heard him right. Dig ditches, you'll dig the ditches, I'll supply the water. Not long ago we covered the book of James the, of our brother, the brother of our Lord, and he wrote this, today or tomorrow, listen, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Sound like a good deal, doesn't it? Oh boy, that's what we're going to do. Yet, don't want to, you don't want to see the yet, do you? Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead... If we're not embracing functional atheism, instead, you ought to say, if, everybody say if. if. And, you know, if if was a skiff, we'd all go for a boat ride. But anyway, if the Lord wills. Say that. If the Lord wills. 
We will live and do this and do that. Now, I'm not saying that you got to consult God for every little thing that you do. Somebody asked me one time, do you think I need to ask God when it's time to go to the bathroom? I said, nope, he got a built-in mechanism for you. You don't have to ask him. He's already taken care of that. <laughs> I do think we need to better be better able to practice the presence of God all the time in our life so that we are constantly connected through the Holy Spirit to God the Father. And James is saying when you when you decide what you're going to do without God's will and without consulting God, you have become your own God. So we finish with this, rising above. How are we going to rise above? How are we going to avoid this functional atheism? Well, first of all, engage with God through prayer. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you that's, Probably not news to anybody. You're not looking at this prayer warrior guy up here. I'm not praying Hyde or any of those folks. But I understand prayer. And I understand that we have access to this great God. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy says it this way. Moses, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? How great is that? that we have this great God at our access and all we got to do is call on him. Engage with God. By the way, God doesn't need that. We need that. He, he not, I, I heard even somebody recently say, it just, I wanted to, do, to uh, blow a fuse. I'm trying to use the right vernacular here. The God created man because he was lonely. He needed fellowship. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. God didn't need us. The late Ern Baxter used to say, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit was a sweet society all to themselves. They didn't need us, but we need them. And we need, the only way you receive from God what God has for you is to engage with God. And how do you engage with God? You talk to him. Now, praying. All right, we still got 25 minutes. Okay. No, we just. My wife started doing like this if I did that. By the way, aren't you glad she's back today? Oh, that's a, you talking about a good view right here. Woo, boy. Uh, where was I? Praying doesn't only include getting off by yourself for hours at a time and engaging with God. It does include that. But it also includes having a conversation with somebody like you know them. You know, if, if I told my beautiful wife, let's go over here and have a four, of course she'd faint and fall dead if she did, go over here and have a four hour conversation over here on the swing set. And, uh, and when we're done, we'll go about our business. Uh, She'd say, well, who are you and what have you done with my husband? But when I want to have a conversation with my wife, you know what I do? I just talk to her. She says not nearly enough. But anyway, I just talk. I speak. 
You can do that with God. You don't have to go off somewhere. It's good to. It's good to get away. But if you're, you know, again, back to that little room, the smallest room in the house, you know, you can talk to him there. I'm not, I mean, you, anyway, too many images here. Engage with God by conversing with him. That's all you got to do. Not that complicated. You know, you had not got to develop this sanctimonious, ecclesiastical sounding prayer. You had not got to fold your hands. You, you know, you had not got to do anything. You can do any number of things to get you in that posture. But the main thing you need to do is understand that what a great nation is there that has a God so near that the Lord our God we, is there when we call on him. That's all you got to do. Just that simple. It's our connection. Prayer is our connection to our invisible, eternal Lord. From whom flows benevolence, prayer, power, strength, direction, and fellowship. Secondly, and you knew this was coming, read and study the scripture regularly. I mean, it just makes sense. If you want to know God... You need to read his words. I mean, you need to read his words. If you want to know what the voice of God sounds like, you want to train yourself to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, then you read the words that he inspired people to write down. And the more you read those words, the more you'll be able to say, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Scripture teaches us that the scriptures are beneficial to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Beneficial. And the result of that is so that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do not depart from the truth of the scripture. There's a lot of strange stuff floating around out there today. And it's because people have taken this book and set it aside and they've created their own ideas and their own thoughts and their own opinions. And most of them or a lot of them, they're not in here. And they wouldn't fit in here. Study the scripture. If the scripture doesn't confirm what you think you heard, then what you think you heard is not God. That's all there is to it. Most of you are already doing this, but be an active part of a local faith community. Now, you'll get to kernels of truth soon, but I wrote a whole kernels of truth on this this month. Be an active part. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you... Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to serve in the church, although we do need people to serve in the church. Matter of fact, we need some people right now to serve in the church. But be active with God's people. Be active in the faith community. Because we've said this many times recently, and Roger talked about it today, and then I turn on, I think it was Michael Youssef this week. Sometimes I turn him on. And what is he talking about? You are members one of another. Like everybody you listen to is talking about the same thing. Be an active part of a faith community because you are members of one another. 
always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. You can find that in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to share your faith. Always be ready. That doesn't mean you got to walk around, you know, just sharing it with everybody you see. But pray and let God lead you. Be ready. Some of the problems we've had as a church, as the church, not this church, but as the church in the past, is that we've tried to answer questions for people that they never asked. But be ready to answer the question because you will be asked. And then finally, examine and guard your own heart. Take inventory. Am I, am I, do, am I, have I got some functional atheism going on in my life? Do I live my life in such a way that I disregard God until I need Him for something? And then guard your own heart. Proverbs 4, guard your heart diligently, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard yourself. You're the only one that can do that. And God won't do it for you. you got to do it. Last quote, a little guy about this tall, John Piper. Doing things in secret that you are ashamed for others to know is practical atheism. And then he asked the question, God's knowing doesn't count. Doing things in secret that you're ashamed for other people to know? Well, isn't God, you know, it's like we were on the golf course and the guy was, you know, I've told y'all the story, but we were playing golf and the three of us were pastors and what. This police officer was placed with us. We played nine holes of golf, and he was chugging back the brew, and he had a little blue language coming out of his mouth. And, of course, none of us ever heard a cuss word in our lives. And so um, he, was, I mean, he wasn't inappropriate to us, but he was, whoo. So on the 10th tee box, he finally gets around to it. Hey, what do you guys do for a living? Because we never said anything. We just played golf. And we told him. And boy, he was spitting and sputtering. I can't believe my, oh my, oh, what I said back. Oh God, I can't believe I said that. Oh goodness. And one of the guys, quick enough, said, hey, I'll make a deal with you. And whatever God didn't hear, I won't tell him. And whatever God doesn't see that you're doing in secret, I won't tell him. But isn't it enough that he's watching? God is looking to behold what we're doing and how we're living. And does our life testify that there is a God? Or are we becoming fools in our lives? Stand with